Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Epperson. Hello, everybody. Luke Stutters. Hello. I always want to say Luke Stutz. I think I've seen that on Twitter or something. That's uh, my Dave nickname. Kim- yeah. Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking to Joe Santos. I had three names, and I <laughs> lost it. <laughs> yeah. Garcia. Joe Santos Garcia. Garcia. There we go. I found it. <laughs> yeah, man. Joe Santos Garcia, a.k.a. Coding Phase, a.k.a. CodingPhase.com. Hey guys. <laughs> Ooh, you say that like a YouTuber. Dot com. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it, it's now like part of my speech now. Every time I talk, I'm like, hey guys, well, where are you from? It's like codingface.com. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. I don't yeah. Know. It's natural now. <laughs> Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12 week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Yeah, I say devchat.tv, but .tv just doesn't roll off the tongue that way. Anyway, yeah, so coding phase. So what is coding phase? Yeah, so coding phase basically started with a social network right pretty much you know let's go a little bit more back basically i started with a youtube channel where i just put one video one one day and it was like hey why you should learn how to code right and that was like at the end of 2016 and then from there people started following me and i was like hey this is cool and then i say wouldn't it be nice to have a community of developers that are learning how to code and let's just create it so i created codingphase.com it was supposed to be what was it that website dev.2 or like mm-hmm. hashnode what hashnode and dev.2 is, is now that's what codingphase.com was supposed to be back then but so many people wanted to just like ask me questions all the time so then it just became basically a place where i teach people how to code you know in my own way how i wish somebody would have taught me so that's what it is now that makes sense so one thing that i like to ask of other content creators and i'm gonna kind of start making it a theme of these shows is so what's the big question you're trying to answer right what's the big question we're going to answer in this episode and what's the big question you're trying to answer at codingphase.com yeah well in codingphase.com what i wanted to really do was to basically teach people in a way where it could be engaging and then at the same time they could see somebody that they can relate to like when i came in in 2011 i was learning online you know websites like coldschool.com freaking youtube blogs you know a whole bunch of different websites i i felt like i i couldn't relate to somebody i mean i'm coming from an inner city i'm from new york city queens brooklyn right so there was nobody that looked like me that talked like me that i don't know well we call the source right that i couldn't relate to anybody so i was like you know what how can i create a platform where people who are maybe inner city kids or people who are interested in in coding but feel like maybe i'm not smart enough maybe i'm not you know the guy that's really good in math or was really good in science or anything like that how can i help them out and and show them that anybody can do this right so that's what we really try to do at coding face just show that anybody can do this and doesn't matter your background and, and what you do right that's awesome yeah so how you said you didn't really have role model role models where you were from. So how did you get into programming then? Well, I, my story with programming is crazy. So 
I was really into Dragon Ball Z when I was a little kid. So back in like 1999, 2000, <laughs> 1999, 2000, right? So I used to go to the library and I used to go to a whole bunch of different websites. And what I did was I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if I could actually upload the videos for Dragon Ball Z into the internet, you know, and back then there was like real player. So it wasn't like, there's no YouTube, there's no Vimeo, like you upload a video and to your server and then you will use a real player. So somehow I figured out how other people were doing it. And what I used to do was just go into, was it the view source of the, the page? And then somehow I figured out how to create a website and then upload the videos. And then it was crazy because you know, probably like a month later, I had half a million people on my website of just watching videos of Dragon Ball Z that I uploaded online. And then one day I, I got somebody send me a letter from the ISP. I think it was like Roadrunner back then. I think I forgot the company, but they sent me a letter like, hey, man, this is like from the FBI. You can't upload copyright <laughs> content. <laughs> yeah. So I was like 14 years old and my mom read that and she's like, you can't be on the internet. So she, <laughs> she turned it off for me. So I never went back into programming from the age of 14 till the age of 24. So at 24, after doing like all type of jobs, you know, all the BS jobs that's out there, I went to a BS community college too. So then <laughs> after I go to this BS community college, I was doing IT and I was like, man, I thought I was going to be, you know, working in my head. This is how I thought about it. Hey, I'm graduating from college. I'm going to go to big company in the city. I'm going to wear a suit and tie, you know, it's like, Hey, brand new Joe. Right. And then <laughs> what I got there is like, Hey man, by the way, you're, you're only making 45,000 a year. And the guy that's been here for 10 years, he's making 65,000 a year. So I was like, okay, this is not, the place I want to be, right? Because there's no growth. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, one day I'm like uh, at Starbucks and I saw this guy. He was just there on a computer, I guess, writing something. And I'm like, bro, what you doing here? Like every day I come here from lunch and I see you here. And he's like, well, I work from, you know, I'm a developer. I code. I, I build web applications and, and things like that. And then he's like, you should try it out. And I was like, oh, cool. Let me try to get into it. And from there on, I just started looking online and seeing how do I get into the industry and how do I learn how to code on my own without having to go and get another degree, you know, and another four years of school doing computer science or something like that. So that's how I just got into programming. And here we are, you know, I love it. I love all the personal stories. Yeah. <laughs> how, well, I mean, that long? that's who we are, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Luke. How long did it take from that initial, like, this is what I want to do to feeling mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm doing it. Well, it was more like the first thing I did was, you know, I built my, my website and I was like, let me let me try to build something that's interesting, something that people are into. And at the time I was doing music. So somehow I figured out how to work with WordPress and, you know, WordPress is just more like you install it and then now you get to post. So once I did that, then I started getting really interested in how can I create more things besides what's being given to me in, in the plugins. So once I started learning a little bit of PHP and started learning a little bit of, you know, CSS, all of those things, then, you know, then I feel more comfortable and, and say, you know what, man, this is what I want to do. And now it was just about how do I figure out how much do I learn? Because, you know, when you're a first time, you know, somebody trying to learn it for the first time, you're like, man, 
how much is enough for you to get a job? And then you see that the web is so huge. It's like so many different languages, so many different skills that you got to pick up. So I literally took, it took me a whole year to like really get a job because I, I thought that I needed to master everything about JavaScript at the moment. I was like, this is everything I need to learn. So I try to learn every single method. And for whatever reason, I thought that I needed to memorize it. So, <laughs> so yeah, you it do. was crazy. You do. You have to you have to memorize every single JavaScript method. <laughs> I, I was waiting for you to say, so I did. And then I was going to be like, no, 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 no. You weren't too stupid for programming. <laughs> I'm too stupid for programming. I just, no, I I just, want, just want to point out that there are zero JavaScript methods. There's only JavaScript functions, guys. Oh, oh no, they added classes in ES. <laughs> oh, oh, all right, all right, you're right. But but he, <laughs> but it's just syntactic sugar over prototypes. So technically, you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a crazy journey. And then finally, I started applying to places. And, you know, I, I went to Twitter, failed, <laughs> went to Tumblr, failed. And then I was like, wait, hold on. Am I really going to be able to get a job? And then at the end of the day, I said, you know what? I don't care what type of job it is. And I found a company which it was like an e-commerce company and they hired me. And it was crazy. I got like $13 an hour. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, damn, I got a degree. And I'm like making less than what I was making on my last job. But it's a, you know, it's a stepping stone, right? You get into the industry from there and then, you know, sky's the limit after that. How long were you there? For all those people that are like, you know, jumping into the sweatshops now, like how long did you stay there? Probably like two months and a half. (laughs) (laughs) The sweatshops. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So they chain you to the keyboard. Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, I I, I mean, I I call them sweatshops, which is kind of, I don't know, maybe that's a little mean, but that's kind of how my perspective is on. I Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think the industry Those places, standard they don't term is well. startups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's some overlap, but <laughs> Venn diagram. It's Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right because you know some some people might think like I hear people that be like, man, you know, I started at the startup and you know I'm working you know ten hours a day and they're making like eighty grand a year. I'm like, bro, I started at thirteen dollars an hour doing full time, no overtime. Sometimes the the owner was like, hey, could you come in on Saturday? And I'm like. Oh my God, I got to do this. Okay. Cause I just wanted to get the experience. Right. And I was like, I didn't want to wait until the quote unquote dream job came to me. I just wanted to start coding. I didn't care what it was, but you're completely right. It's like a sweatshop that a lot of companies, they do that. And small, it's usually like really small companies where they be like, Hey man, how can we get somebody to come in and do our, our work that we was going to pay a bigger company to, to do? How can we come in and say, Hey, you're going to get experience here, kiddo. You know, so <laughs> they do that all the time. Yeah. Yep. That always works out how everyone expects to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then they always are like, why do our people leave so often? I don't know. Maybe because you treat them like crap and don't pay them. Yep. <laughs> John said that like he picked up on my sarcasm. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So I started and, and, and still like run like a community here in Charlotte, right? That we originally, it was, you know, it was originally for like junior developers. So there's this huge, you know, new developer presence. And this is a constant refrain. And I can name like four or five companies in town that like, if you were my friend, I would tell you not to go work for them, right? But if you come to me and you're like, how do I get in the industry? 
what I tell you, I still tell you the same thing as I tell you, you know, you can go work for these guys, but it's going to suck. Like in the beginning, it just to me, like what I'm always telling people who are new is like, you kind of have to decide what's more important to you, that your first job is everything that you ever dreamed or that you get into the industry because you might have to wait a long time to get a good job if you don't have your foot in the door already. If you can suck it up for a little while, you can get your foot in the door faster and get into the industry faster. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I was saying. Yeah, sometimes you got to pay your dues. What I tell my students at CodingFaith.com is is that same thing. Like I see people that they have this idea of like they see something on like TechCrunch or something like that, or they see a YouTuber that comes in and say, hey, I just got a job at XYZ.com and they're freaking giving me $110,000 salary. And it's like the majority of people are not getting that, right? So it's either you could start working today, right? Build experience. And then from there, you could always get those jobs later on, right? Now it's up to you if you get stuck. Some people think like they're going to get stuck there forever. It's like, no, bro. Like I went in there two months and I was like, okay. And I just started applying to other places and, and they hired me because nobody wants to take that first initial risk of hiring somebody that has never worked at a company. So at least now that you have that, that stamp on your resume, then you're good to go. John, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits here, except you have a degree in adult. I started off <laughs> at a IT company or they were they were an engineering company and I did their IT work. Now I was making like seven bucks an hour. It was nothing. And I stayed there for six years because I thought, okay, well, no degree. My dad's always beat into me. You're nobody if you don't have a degree. And so, you know, that's the good old Japanese, you know, culture there. I'm the proud failure of a son. But anyways, so I, I <laughs> stay there this for is a bit heavy. My God, did this story get better? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Cultural guilt. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so I was there for six years. And then a buddy of mine says, hey, if you want to make a lateral move, we have this entry-level position, you know, come and work here. I'm like, okay. So I did. And I'm still there today. Well, I still have my same employment today. Mm-hmm. So I climbed up the ladder and I finally made it to the developer position. But during those 12 years, I've been with three different companies because they slowly just sold off the company over and over again. So it's always refreshing. You know, it's always something new because whatever project I was working on, they just said, we don't care about your projects. We just want the client base. And then they find a fit for me in the new company. So it's been interesting, but you know, I'm still kind of at my second job right now. So never take job hunting advice from me because I really don't job hunt. <laughs> Six years of my old job and then twelve over 12 years of this one. No, this is good. one of the things I really like about the Coding Phase YouTube channel is the professional advice you give out. Yeah, well, I try I try to give people a more like a realistic advice because I feel like a lot of people that's on YouTube and, and different platforms, like they give advice from where they're coming from, right? And, and from their results. So they'll give you an advice. Hey, I have a computer science degree. This is how I got into a job. This is how much I'm getting paid and, and this, this and that. And then the average person that's actually learning at home might not have that experience. 
And what I try to give them is, hey, this is what happened to me. And this is what I'm seeing a lot of people that have to go through to get into the industry. And then once they're in, you know, they're in, you know, once you have the skills and and you have something on, on your resume that shows that you have the skills and experience, then you're good to go. But at least... I give them that that other side that nobody talks about, I feel like. Yeah, it's funny that we're talking through this because I'm actually working on something that's pretty similar, except it's more focused on just that continuous leveling up. But people in the beginning seem to really focus on that. And then what I find is a lot of people get comfortable and fewer and fewer people are trying to get to that next level. And I love that you're focused on people at kind of that entry level that just kind of, you know, it's like they don't even know what to do, right? You know, where I'm, I'm looking more at the people in the middle that are going, I'm kind of stuck, right? I, I was learning new things and I was having all these adventures. And now I feel like I'm just kind of grinding it out every day and I don't know what to do next. But it's, it's, it's this interesting journey that I feel like we kind of hit in phases, right? So yeah, you have that initial phase where it's like, I have to learn all the things to prove that I'm good enough. And then once you kind of get to that junior level or mid-level, it's okay, well, I'm stuck and I don't know what to do next in order to get to the next phase of my career. And then once you get there, it's okay, well, I'm a senior person and, you know, what am I even doing here some days, right? <laughs> and, right, because it's, you know, I'm I'm doing half the stuff I do is is stuff that, yeah, I've, I've kind of seen before and I can do stuff before. And then other stuff, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's stuff where it's like, you know, isn't there somebody who's got less seniority or something that, you know, that, that could do some of this stuff because it's really mundane. And, you know, and then it's like, I don't really see any opportunities for upward movement except for management and I don't want to do management management. So, you know, so they kind of go through that again, where it's like, I don't know what to do. So how do I move ahead? And it's, you know, so we hit that process, I didn't get multiple stages in our careers. And a lot of people don't realize that we need to get through that. And, you know, so coding phase is kind of, I like the name just in the sense that, you know, you're in this phase, how how do you get through it? How do you get to the next phase? How do you get to the next Mm -hmm. level of winning, whatever that is? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's one of the reasons why I created. And I thought about that that name coding phase because I was like, you go through phases, even like myself, like right now, I feel like what you were just talking about was a phase that I went through three years ago where, you know, at first, you know, you start as a junior developer, right? First, you can't even call yourself a junior developer. You're just some guy trying to learn how to code. Then from there, you get hired. Now you're a junior developer. You're still building up the skills, trying to get that experience. Then from there, you know, two, three years later, you are getting more complex projects. You're a mid-level developer. Then you get to a point where now, quote unquote, you're the senior developer where people are looking up to you for answers and help, right? So when I hit that wall, I was like, okay, do I really want to be the guy that is, you know, responsible for everything. Like most of the companies that I work for, they weren't companies where they have, it's not Google, they don't have, you know, 500 developers, right? And every single thing is spread out to everyone. Most of the companies I work for were like small to medium-sized companies. And then once I hit that stage of like senior developer, I got so much responsibility and I had to like pretty much be on top of everything. And I was like, 
I love to code, but this is not my company. Like, do I really, mm-hmm. do I really want to be like the guy staying here to eight o'clock at night or when their CEO is like, Hey man, something's going on with this page or, Hey, we're, we're not getting conversions here. Can you go in? And then now I got to be on, on top of other people that might not be doing their job and I have to be on top of them. Like that was something that was like, you know what, maybe I think this is not what I want to do. And that's when I started like really focusing on, on becoming like a more like a independent developer, which is like indie develop, developer and just making income from ideas. Cause you know, as a developer, you get so many ideas and if you have the skills, you could create them now. So it's like, do you do it for somebody else? Like I'll give you like a quick story. Like the last company I worked for, I'm not going to name them, <laughs> but literally I had to go in and rebuild their whole e-commerce website, which was built on Pearl for they had it built for like 15 years. And it was built on Pearl? On Pearl, yeah. <laughs> what, so what, what, what we're crying for you. Yeah, so it was built on Pearl. And then I had to convert this. First of all, when I got there, they told me, hey, you're going to be a front-end developer. You're good to go. The front-end developer quit. The senior developer quit. The guy that built the, the it was like an in-house framework of Pearl. That guy quit. Everybody quit. And it's like, by the way, so now you're like the most senior guy here. And I'm like, I thought I was just going to be Hey, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. Now you got to deal with this. So all of this logic from like 15 years of a crazy e-commerce website, I had to rebuild it. And I built it with, I was going to build it with Ruby and Rails. But at the time, because I was like, let's build it with Ruby. and, And people were like, Nah, we can't build it because there's no Ruby on Rails developers here in Long Island. We got to pick something that that we can get locally. So I went with PHP Laravel and like rebuilt the whole website in like two months. Like literally, <laughs> literally my whole my whole freaking beard turned gray. I was like a young kid when I went into that company. <laughs> I had to rebuild this whole company. But once PHP aged you, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can say that. So built it. And then at the end of the day, once I did all of that work, I said, you know what, man, let me get a little vacation. And then they were like, listen, you're the most senior developer here. We can't, you can't take a vacation right now. We just switched over to the new framework, whatever. And then at the same time, from all the changes that I did to this website, they literally made $8 million in that month from all of the new things because it was old. So I brought in all of the new technologies, you know, React, you know, we connected through Facebook pixels. We did all of the marketing things that they've never done. Somehow this company was still alive without any of those things. So we just basically took it from 2001 to 2017 in, in two, three months. And then they made like $8 million and I didn't even get a, a, a pat on the back. It was like, okay, not even a bonus. So that's when I realized, hold on, I can't be making people mi- millions of dollars and I'm not even getting a cut out of this. You know, so that's when I just realized, you know what, I got to be an independent developer, do my own thing, man. You know, yep. but it's crazy. <laughs> I'm curious because we've talked about some of these transitions that you've made. And, you know, John mentors people. I've mentored a number of people and coached a number of people. I've talked to Dave and it sounds like he's worked with some people that he's mentored. I don't know how much you've done outside of work as part of uh, Drifting Ruby or anything, Dave, but we've all kind of been in that position where we've helped some folks along. How do you figure out when it's time to change phases and what that next phase is? Because it seems like you kind of have this epiphany and you move ahead, right? But that's not necessarily the same thing as, okay, you know, I'm at this place. That's not the place I want to be at anymore. So I'm going to do this other thing, right? Yeah. Well, 
I think for younger developers, what I always tell them is you got to have a goal. What exactly you want to do and what you want to get out of this industry, right? A lot of people just think, I just want to learn how to code and get in the game. But if you don't have a plan, you don't have a goal of like, what do you want out of this? Then it's going to be harder to know when you got to switch phases. You know what I'm saying? Because some people might go into their first job and be like, I'm just glad to be here. And they stay there for 10 years, 20 years, right? But then they didn't have a goal to say, you know what, what do I want to do within five years? Do I want to become a senior developer? Do I want to become a guy that's creating frameworks, libraries? Do I want to be a guy that's taking risks and creating their own startups? Do I want to create microservices and and make income online? Do I want to be a digital nomad and travel the world? Like, it's super important to know what you want to get out of this ahead of time so you could take the right pathway. You get what I'm saying? Because I, I always tell people like like online, people ask me all the time, like, man, I'm trying to learn all of these different technologies and all of these different things. I'm like, slow down before you go into learning everything. Find out what is it that you want to do? What, what's your end goal? And then start learning the technologies according to that goal. So you don't go here and just go crazy learning everything that's out there, you know, so... Boy, you sound like me. <laughs> no, it's it, the the difference is, is that, you know, instead of asking, you know, where's the transition point or how do I figure that out? People mm-hmm. are asking me, how do I keep up? You know, oh, how yeah. do I how do I stay current? And usually I'm like, well, if you want to be a system architect and you need to be learning these things. And if you want to be a crack Ruby developer, you need to be learning these things. And if you want to be a team lead, you need to be learning these things. Right. And so it's not, how do I keep up on everything? It's how do I learn the right things? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're hitting on the head there is, you know, okay, well, I want to be the go-to Ruby knowledge expert on my team. Okay, well, then you're going to have to go get that encyclopedic knowledge Ruby, and you're going to have to figure out how to communicate it to others so that they'll come ask you and get the answer they need in a way they understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. So speaking of, I think, This is really interesting because I also have the same thing. I say it a little bit differently. I tell people, well, you have to know what your goal is, right? More or less exactly the same thing, right? But I think one of the things that, you know, that I encounter a lot because I'm interacting with a lot of people who are just trying to get in coding at all. One of the things that I encounter a lot is, well, what language am I supposed to learn, right? There, if, you know, obviously the first thing that everyone knows that I do Ruby and they're like, Ruby is dead. So like, what do I pick? You know? <laughs> and so Latin, like, that doesn't mean that it's <laughs> useless. I hate when and, people say that. Yeah, uh, and, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a whole shtick, right? Like, because I, I'm not trying to sell people necessarily on Ruby. I try to be pretty agnostic, both for my community's sake and because that's sort of like the way that I am. Like, I, I'm not really interested in a winner. I program in Ruby because Ruby's awesome and Ruby has won me over. And because I can still make money doing it. And if that were to change, then, you know, I would still probably, I guess if Ruby, like suddenly, I don't know, if like Matt's died or something terrible happened. I guess there's a scenario where I could hate Ruby, but unlikely. I'll still probably like Ruby anyway. But what I do every day might change, you know. If that were to change, I'd probably go over there, right? So I'm agnostic in that way, right? I'm a little bit murky, I guess. That's about as mercenary as I get. But, you know, people are like, well, well, should I jump on this JavaScript bandwagon? And, you know, Charlotte, we have a lot of banks. The banks right now are converting, like, all their stuff to JavaScript. So there's a ton of JavaScript jobs in town. And, like, one of the things that I'm, like, telling people is I'm like, look, I was like, depends on, like, what you want to do. If you want to work here in Charlotte, 
JavaScript super popular. Across the world, JavaScript appears to have hit some sort of peak and it's coming down, whatever. It's not like it's not popular. You can still find jobs. If you want to find a Ruby job, you're not probably finding it in Charlotte. You're probably looking at a remote thing. And, and people are like, oh, remote. I didn't even think about that because I don't know. People don't. You know, things like that. Uh, Python's actually sort of... But, but this is all, Python's getting popular in my town or whatever, but this is all specific to what it really takes is like, what are you trying to do, I guess? Like, and that's what I tell people. So anyway, to my question, which I was trying to lead to and spent 10 minutes going down rabbit holes, like, what do you tell people? Like, what what kinds of advice you give? Like, I, I was digging through coding phase here and I see tutorials for like a number of different things. What's sort of your take currently? How do you roll? And do you feel like, because I don't think that you're giving people advice on how to find jobs in New York City, correct me if I'm wrong, you're yeah. probably giving them advice on how to find them like in general, wherever they're at, right? Mm-hmm. How, how are you giving advice? How yeah. does that point out? So the way I tell people is, first of all, you got to look locally. Just like how you were saying, if over there in North Carolina, in your hometown, there's a lot of jobs popping up with Node.js, then you should learn Node.js right? Or JavaScript, right? And that's what you want to basically start with to find a job, right? You can start with whatever programming language you want, but you want to look at the job market in your area to, from there, make a decision on what type of language you should choose and which one you should start focusing on. Because if you can't find a job, you know, then it's going to be, you know, to me, I'll be like, What's the point, right? Like, even though we do love to program and to to code, but we still got to sustain ourselves and take care of our families, right? So you're going to have to pay your bills. So you have to make sure you look online and locally and find out what are the things that people are, are looking for. Myself, I started with HTML, CSS, JavaScript. That's it, right? Some people say HTML, CSS, not even programming languages. That's fine. But that's where I start off, right? And then <laughs> from there, you know, I jumped into Ruby and I learned programming, like real programming from, from Ruby because it was just fun, right? It was like my first love. It's like, damn, this is actually fun. It wasn't like me smashing my head on the keyboard with JavaScript. It was just like, okay, everything makes sense. And it's more like English. But at the same time, I got a job. My first job, official job that I could say, was a company that they were using Ruby on Rails. So I was the front-end guy, junior front-end guy. And then they would tell me, hey, could you go into this models and change this, this, and that? Or could you create some routes for this page? Or, you know, so from there, I started learning Ruby on Rails from that opportunity. But not everybody that's going to be out there in the world, like, is going to get those opportunities to say, okay, being introduced by the job from Ruby on Rails. So you have to make a decision on what's in your area. What language can you get a job as soon as possible? And for me, my students, I always tell them, basically stick with, in the beginning, Node.js or JavaScript, right? JavaScript, Node.js, depending on the area. PHP is always good. Uh, You know, some people always say, PHP is dead, Bro, PHP is is out there. It's not the best language. I, I kind of hate it. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, it's like a language that no matter where you go, you could go to. I'm here in Florida. Florida doesn't even have that many jobs. But you look online, PHP. You go to freaking Louisiana, PHP. It doesn't matter where you go in, in freaking Nigeria. There's guys finding jobs over there in PHP. So well, I'll tell and- people. 
Yeah, I'll chime in on that too. You can go on Odesk. You can hang out your shingle as a WordPress developer. You have to have a passing knowledge of PHP and a half passing knowledge of what they call the WordPress codex. Mm -hmm. And then you can work in WordPress. You can get a job tomorrow, right? You can find contract work tomorrow writing Mm -hmm. PHP. Now, it's not my favorite language, but Mm -hmm. you can find work tomorrow doing it. So yeah. And you know, more than the business people hiring Mm you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah Go so- learn Gatsby. <laughs> Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at rubyrogues.com slash Raygun. Oh, you like, tell me, do you like Gatsby? Just a question. <laughs> I've played with it some. There, there are things I like and things I don't, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. No, I was just, <laughs> just wondering because I had some crazy experience with Gatsby and I was like, man, you know, because I'm coming from like that Ruby. I remember I used to use uh, Jekyll, right? And mm-hmm. for static site websites and, and it was so simple, right? But I jumped into Gatsby and I was like, man, this a lot of stuff in here that I was like, that one you don't There's need. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. And I was like, for all the things that I've, all the good things that I heard, people were talking about it to me, like, man, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Like, this thing is going to save the world. And I'm like, okay, cool. I actually switched up my website. I used to have codingface.com on, on Gatsby and all of my SEO dropped. Like, Everything that I freaking transferred over, I was like, bro, this was like a huge mistake. Some people, they love it. But for me, I was like, man, this is not, this is not for me. But <laughs> what, what was the website on before that uh, was much better at SEO? WordPress, you know, WordPress, whatever I put up on, on WordPress, it would just pick it up. First, I had it on Jekyll and then WordPress. And then I switched it up to Gatsby because people was like, tell me, you got to switch to Gatsby, bro. Like, this is the next thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's try it. And yeah, well, it didn't go so well for me. <laughs> well, but- amongst us chickens here, uh, <laughs> devchat.tv was on 11DJS, which is another static site generator like Jekyll. Mm-hmm. And I, I moved it to WordPress and the performance went way up. The SEO went way up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a win all around. And there were, it made a lot of things a lot easier because I have a team of people working on the podcast that don't code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's one of the reasons why I feel like a lot of companies... I think everybody knows that you can do some better things with other languages and other frameworks, but WordPress, just for SEO, 
by itself and, and just the ease of use of like you could give it to your mom and be like hey mom write a blog here and she'll understand if she ever posted on facebook you get what i'm saying like it's that simple but yeah man i think a lot of people you know they, they should definitely give it a try you know going back to like what i was saying before just for anybody that's looking for a job and getting their opportunity in the beginning, you know, just look in your local area. You know, a lot of people, they focus so much in like San Francisco. They're like, oh, man, I want to get a job at Google. And I'm not a Google type of guy. You know what I mean? Like I always tell people, like, I'm not a Google type of guy. I don't see myself leaving where I live, my comfort zone to go all the way to San Francisco or move back to New York City. Right. So I need to learn technologies that are in the local areas where I move to. Like right now here in Florida, I'm really going deep into Shopify. So Shopify is Ooh. huge. Yeah. So that's the the next frontier for me now. Like this is where I'm putting all my eggs into the Shopify basket. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. I'm loving it. I'm loving Shopify and creating applications for it. I have so many friends of mine who created apps within three months and then six months later, they're making 50 grand a month just from the application on a monthly recurring basis. Like you can't even, you know, for somebody like myself, I'm an independent developer, right? I think of myself like I'm a web developer, but I have the mentality of a game developer, of an indie game developer. And it's like, I love to code, but I need to be able to sustain myself and to be able to find different ways to make income from my skills, not just working for somebody else. And Shopify provides that, man. You know, you know what's crazy that I don't, I can't remember if it was here on this podcast that you guys had somebody that was like doing Shopify years ago, like that they were talking about Shopify. I can't remember it, you know, but I know that I heard it from here from somewhere in DevChat.tv, right? I know I heard it here somewhere, but it's crazy that Years later, I'm like, man, Shopify is still like kicking. You know, when people be like, Ruby is dead. I'm like, it's like, come on, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, but it's supposed to be fast. You could do so much with Node.js or with Scala or where with all of this different language. I'm like, bro, it doesn't matter what you use. It's, It's the product that you're building. And at the same time, if you're having fun with it, like all the projects that I ever built with Ruby, that's where I had fun with, you know, a building. It wasn't like a job. It was more like, okay, cool. Let's do some Ruby and some Ruby on Rails or work on whatever, you know. Sometimes I just love coding on Ruby by itself with no framework, you know. So if, I, if we can boil down what you talk about into kind of a couple of steps that people can take, because mm-hmm. I want this to be really actionable, right? I just don't, I, I feel like we've kind of got people, we've got the energy mm-hmm. up, we've yeah. got people excited. They're going, okay, you know, I could do this. I can get into coding or I can level up on coding. You know, what are kind of the steps that people should be taking at this point for their careers? You know, whether they're trying to get in or whether they've been in it for a little while. Okay. So I will say for a junior developer, like I said, look into your local area, which one to learn, right? What's actually out there. Focus on those skills. You don't have to be a master. This is the biggest mistake that I made. It took me a whole year to get a job, not because I couldn't work and I didn't have the skills to be already productive in a team. It was literally, I thought I needed to become a master of JavaScript, right? Or to learn everything that's out there. And it's more like, okay, look at what companies are asking for, you know, even on on job descriptions, what is it that they're going to need? And just start applying, you know, don't think that you have to be an expert, just apply to every job that's, that's available out there. And even if it says, you know, sometimes senior level. I've seen jobs where 
they were asking for a senior developer, but in reality, they had you doing like simple things. I'm like, you know, I've gotten hired to <laughs> jobs where I'm like, okay, I got hired as a senior developer, but I'm like, why am I building the static pages? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> <I've been there. laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so there's situations like that where, you know, a junior developer might think like, you're going to build so many complex things, bro, just apply to the jobs, right? Go to every interview. Don't worry about failure. Not everybody gets a job on the first try. That's normal, right? Go in. And then once you have a, your job and you start working there, try to soak it up. Soak up all of the skills and the things that they're working with in that company. So you can also level up and, and, and say, you know what? What is it that I want from here? Because now you got a job, right? Do you want to continue working as a developer for, you know, for X amount of years at that company? Or do you want to say, you know what? I would love to try another different technology, a different framework, different library, then from there, you got to decide, do I leave the company or not, right? If they're not paying you properly, my advice is always leave. Don't stay there expecting that they're going to give you a $50,000 race in two years. Like most companies come in and give you maybe five in the beginning. You're making 50, you'll get 55 next year, right? So <laughs> don't stay there forever. But then from there, just once you, you hit that point of, I would say like a mid-level developer and, and you're looking around like, do I want to continue working for other people? If the company or the industry that you're in is interested to you, then, you know, continue with that. If not, find other ways so you can make income for yourself. Like that's one thing that I always tell people, like I'm all about the income. Like I, I keep people up, you know, updated on how much money I make. I, I tell them exactly how I continue to grow, right? What do I do with, with my income? How do I invest into my own businesses? I try to share all of that so people can see that you could start here as a junior developer, but then you can continue to develop, develop yourself into, you know, becoming your own CEO, your own business owner, right? Create your own ideas. So you have to figure out as you continue to, to progress to see like, where do you want to go? with this career, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's something that I would say to anybody. And, you know, like for another thing that I would say for like mid-level to like senior level developers is like, I see a lot of guys that they get stuck at companies. They've been there for five years and they're like, man, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, how you were saying before, am I, if, am I up to date with what's going on with the industry or this, this and that? And it's like, sometimes you got to go out there and start really you know, seeing what's, what's out there, right? Seeing what technologies people are using. Because I remember, you know, when I first started, just to go real quick back to this story, but there was a point where I went to a company, I got hired as a contractor, and there was a guy who was doing .NET for 10 years, and he didn't know anything about what was happening in JavaScript. And I was like, how are you just focusing on just one specific thing and never learn what's going on in the whole ecosystem? And that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see from like mid to senior level developers where they get comfortable at a company. This is what they use and they never try to learn anything else. And God forbid they lose that job. Now they're they have to stay at home for six months to try to ca catch up with what's going on with the industry. So those are a little quick gems that I could drop in there. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to quit my job and start a Shopify store now. Oh, my God. You've, you've, you inspired me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna email them today. I'm gonna say, screw you guys. I'm gonna make 50, 50 grand a month on, on Sh what, Shopify. That's, that's mad. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I will say it's the Shopify apps ecosystem is huge, and 
And just the fact that you actually developing things, it's more like a server and you just connect into the APIs with Shopify. But there's so much potential for developers. And, and, and that's something that I try to always bring out for people. Like there's so many people that are so bright. I saw somebody on Twitter that I, I really respect. But something that I, I saw from him on, on Twitter, he was like, does anybody know how to make side income? And, and I'm like, bro, you're like, you like a creator of like libraries, frameworks. You got hundreds of thousands. <laughs> Welcome to the internet. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of followers. And I'm like, bro, you don't know. You can't use the skills that you've learned and accumulated all these years to make income for yourself. And I was like, it just felt weird. And I feel like most people, most developers, we need to talk and, and give other people ideas of like different ways of how they can make their own income, you know? <laughs> yep. But I guess my question is, does Shopify take a 30% cut? Well, yeah, they, they definitely take the cut. It, it's like Apple, right? You want to put an application <laughs> on Apple, they're going to, somebody's going to eat. They're, they're going to be like, well, we got to eat, you know? It's our platform. <laughs> I knew that yeah. we were going to get to Apple. <laughs> what Can is I, Shopify's cut for the marketplace? Can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it's somewhere up there. <laughs> hey, hey, are you stealing my idea, Dave? <laughs> no, not all, man. Just trying to help you get the full picture here. <laughs> we're going to have our first arm wrestle on the podcast. <laughs> I, I think he meant that that he's going to take a cut of everyone's oh, apps there we go. that they're making. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I just don't know that anyone would agree to it, but... I think it's like 20%, I think. I can't remember it, but I believe it's 20%, which is better than Apple, so, you know... Well, I learned something. I didn't even know you could do that with Shopify. That's something I'm going to look into. Can I Can I ask you a British question? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I started working projects in the USA about um, five or six years ago. And uh, we were dealing with a guy from HP. And my my British colleagues said, we really don't like that guy. You know, he's really rude. And I had to explain to them, he's not rude. He's from New York. Yeah. (laughs) Because they they just didn't, they didn't know, right? They had no no insight. But to me, he was just like, like a normal guy. Uh, What's, what's it like the East Coast versus West Coast developer scene? Because me outside looking in, I can see a big divide there. It's like night and day. Would do you think? Do you think that's true? There is an East Coast versus West Coast developer divide, and which is better? Well, I will say in the East Coast is more hustle in the sense of like you know, there's definitely a lot of cutthroat, right? There's a lot of people that would go in and take take credit for other people's work, and everybody's trying to become. It's like the teacher's pet, right? There's a project manager and <laughs> everybody try to do that, right? But compared to like the the West Coast, when I've been to San Francisco, it feels like everybody's talking about, this is the new startup or, hey, I just got, you know, this amount of freaking, you know, stocks or something from like this company that they hire me or something like that, right? And like in the East Coast, you don't really see that. Like everybody's is to themselves and it's, it's New York City, you know, like you can't BS yourself, you know, with people like people is not really trying to take that. <laughs> For me, there's a lot more straight talk on the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot of fake personalities in the West Coast. Sorry for anybody in San Francisco. I love you guys, too. But, you know, this, you guys know it, it's pretty fake. Everybody, you know, I've seen situations where people take people, uh, people's ideas and, and things like that. They're 
act like they're friends and, and things like that. So that happens all the time over there. But yeah, New York is different. New York is, if you're from New York, it's like, I always say this, like, I feel like there's really not that many people, even on YouTube, that it's like myself, like even the way I talk, like the way how my type of aura is, right? Somebody, like you said, somebody in, in England, if I say, this, this guy's rude, you know what I mean? Like, but this is New York, kid, you know what I mean? Like we, it, <laughs> this is how we are, right? It's a certain way, certain swagger, certain type of individuals that New York City is a hard city, right? So at the end of the day, New York yes. City is a great city. I love New York. <laughs> it's just people aren't used to it, you know. They're like, oh, you know, they, they think that people are being aggressive. But they're not. This is completely normal. Yeah, that's normal. Over there. <laughs> well, what's interesting, too, is that you've got... So New York and San Francisco, yeah, they have different cultural incentives. But then you've got some smaller tech hubs in in the area right you know john lives in or near one dave lives in or near one i live near salt lake city and which is also you know and the incentives here are different than they are in either of those places right because you don't have the investment feeding frenzy status building because you're part of a blah 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 Mm -hmm. kind of startup that you get on the in the san francisco areas you get a little bit of that in like Seattle and things like that. But Seattle is, is even different because it's basically Microsoft and Amazon going head to head to hire developers, you know, but then you move into Austin or Salt Lake or Atlanta, you know, and, and you get some of these other areas and they're just trying to build a business and, and make it run. Right. And so they, they don't get rewarded for kind of the, the straight shooting, you know, cutthroat feel that you get out of New York city either. And mm-hmm. so it really depends on where you go and what incentives are. And yeah, the incentives in San Francisco is is if you're part of a successful skyrocketing startup, you've got status. And in New York, if you're part of a successful, high, high profile, well thought of business, then you get status. And, you know, out here in Salt Lake, if you're running a multi-million dollar business, then people look at you as successful. And so it, it really changes from area to area. And like even Florida, you know, depending on what part of Florida you're in, if you're in the Tampa, Orlando area or Miami, I mean, the, the culture there is a little bit different. The feel there is a little bit different. And what people recognize there is a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's one thing that, you know, one of the main reasons why I, I moved out of New York City, because me personally, I never really care about the company or if it's Google, Facebook or whatever multi-billion dollar company it is. Right. What I care about is the people that work there and do the team work good. Right. Together. And are people helpful? Can, uh, you know, people aren't are people nice. Right. Like. For me, I always found that outside of New York City, right? I never worked in San Francisco, but I've worked in in New York. And and I I see like a lot of the big companies, people are just like, you know, nobody's really friendly like that and things like that. But once I started working in places like Long Island, which is outside of New York, then you go to Connecticut, right? You have uh, even here places in in Tampa where I live now, like the mood is completely different. Like... Nobody, there's nobody like saying, well, I work at Uber and I've been working as a Stripe or I've been working like nobody cares about like the name. It's more like, hey, man, how's the culture in that company? Oh, you know, like, oh, they let me get to work remotely two days out of the week and things like that. Those are the things that people really get excited for here from what I've noticed, you know, and I kind of like it like that. 
better than just saying I got a big company, you know. In YouTube nowadays, like a lot of people, they they're blowing up off like people like companies' name just to say, hey, I'm a ex Facebook, I'm a ex this this and that. Like everybody uh, wants to put that out there, and it's like people like myself, I don't even care who's from what what company you're from, you know. <laughs> But some people, they, they care about that, you know, the young kids, yeah. if you're listening, like, you know, it's not, it's not really about the company. It's about, you know, are you making an impact in that company? If you're developer number 2023, like you're not really making an impact in that company, you know? So that's yeah. how I feel about it. <laughs> cool. Well, is there anything else that we should go over team before we head to picks? We haven't talked about being a YouTuber. That's right. How oh, yeah. do you, how do I become famous? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So YouTube is, is one of those situations where it's kind of weird because not everybody can do YouTube, right? Who wants to put their face on the internet all day and, you know, get criticized, get judged, right? So it's a certain type of individual that can really do YouTube. And also to understand that when you drop something, even if you could be famous on whatever platform it is, that doesn't guarantee you success on YouTube. So you could have a million followers on Instagram or Twitter on YouTube. It's the algorithm that's going to put you there. So no matter what, you, you're you going to have to cater to it. You know, I myself, I've been doing YouTube since 2017, like January. So now I only have like 65,000 subscribers. And that's because I pretty much, I never followed the YouTube algorithm. So I just create my content and when people find me, you know, they enjoy it and they love what I do. But YouTube is a different animal, you know? You you have to play the, the ball. You ain't gotta play ball with with YouTube and Google. You gotta do what they, what they like, you know? A minute, it has to be 10 minutes per videos or maybe you have to create clickbaity titles or uh, create content that you might not be interested on or there might be a situation where you become a slave to the views so like let's say for example somebody creates one type of video that actually works for them and then they create all of their content after that right like i'll give you an example i saw one guy that i used to follow i think his name was like me kevin or something like that on on youtube and he used to create really good real estate videos, right? Because that's what he does. He's a real estate agent and shows you everything about the market. But he has success. He dropped one video talking about the stimulus package from Donald Trump. And then now every video that he does has to do with with the stimulus package because it's going to give him views. That's what YouTube has already said. Hey, this is what we're going to promote. This is what we're going to do for you. Right? It's the same thing for us developers. If Let's say you have one tutorial that is popular. Let's say you did a Ruby tutorial and it became popular. YouTube wants you to just do those tutorial videos. So for some people, they might like it. Some people might not like it. You know, YouTube is not for everybody. You know, it's, it's something that everybody has to keep in mind if they want to get into YouTube. And just try to be original. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. it. You know? Are there any YouTube channels? Obviously, you've got your own. Are there any mm-hmm. other develop, development channels on YouTube that you think are really good that you like yourself? Yeah, so I like Reversi Media, who's my friend. I also like... Yeah, for- Brad's terrific. Yeah, he's super legit when it comes to the tutorials. And I love that, you know, when I, I, I basically started that whole movement of like doing like talking headshots and talking about development and talking about things about jobs and opportunities and things like that. And that's on Brad. 
like really put yourself out there and start showing the people more about you because before he only dropped tutorials and like I really look forward to his videos when he shares his opinion on you know maybe a new technology or something that has been happening with his life you know sometimes you know that's the the best thing about his channel he has great tutorials and then he also shares like so much about what's going on in the industry or things that people should look out for. So really, you know, advice videos. So I like him, you know, Traversing Media, Forest Knight, which is another young developer. I think he's from Virginia. Let's see. I like Chris Sean, who's also, he does like more like vlogging. So he shares his life as, as a developer. And let me see one more. Let's see. Forest Knight. Let's see. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it for now. You know, <laughs> that that could come up to my mind right now, you know, but those guys definitely are legit. Oh, this other kid called Ben Awad. If you guys don't know who he is, you guys got to check him out. He's pretty legit, super knowledgeable kid. I love his videos and he's funny too. So yeah, man, YouTube has a lot of personalities and that's what's great about YouTube. I feel like, you know, when... Back in the days, it was all about bloggers and, you know, people writing tutorials. Like, you you couldn't relate to those people because it was just like text, right? Now, at least with YouTube, you can see different personalities, even how they talk. Maybe you can say, you know what? I like the, the type of advice this person gives, right? So YouTube is great for that, man. And, and there's a lot of guys in there, you know? Yep. Very cool. We'll have to get links to all of those in the show notes. If you put them in the chat, we'll be able to get them in the show notes. Yeah, and where do they find where do they find uh, your stuff again? Yeah, so you guys can check me out at youtube.com slash coding phase. That will bring you straight to my YouTube channel. And if you guys want to learn how to code and you're a beginner, you're like, you know, at, at that point in your early stages, you want to build some cool projects, you can check out my website, codingphase.com. I try to teach it in a way where I'm just more you know, bringing it to somebody where I could take an Uber driver. He wants to learn how to code. I could teach him, you know, a guy that just came, he's a truck driver or a, a girl in retail and they want to learn how to code. It's, it's more relatable type of projects and, and things that they could get interested on, you know, but yeah, definitely coding phase, just pretty much Google coding phase. <laughs> as soon as you see that, it's going to pop up everything about me. All right. Yep. Very cool. Have you thought about learning to do native iOS development? Are you using Swift at work? Or maybe you've considered writing applications for macOS. We have a podcast that covers all of that called iFreaks. We have a new panel and a lot of exciting things to talk about. So come check us out at iFreaksShow.com. All right, well, let's jump in and do some picks. John, why don't you start us out with the picks? All right. So I'm going to start out with I was naming a thing. Well, I'm sorry. I already had a name for a project and it was really awful. And I wanted to name it something kind of cool. And to be frank, I'm not actually all that good at like naming things, but somebody turned me on to this workbook like a few years ago. And now I use it like every time I have to name a project. It's called Don't Call It That, a naming workbook. And I just bought like the Kindle edition. I think there's even like, I don't know, there's like a second edition out yet. I have no idea if the second edition works. I've only 